0: Right. <laughs>
1: like you're well branded this morning. Thank you for reminding me where we are.
2: <laughs> yep. This is the Rebel scientist podcast for us in case you are lost.
1: Thank you. I am getting more and more lost as the years go by here. Sarah, I feel really guilty this morning because I don't usually eat breakfast. I try to do the fasting until 11 or 12, but I went to go pick up coffee for my wife and I grabbed like the giant blueberry bran muffin and as I was looking at our guest, I was like and I never eat sugar in the morning. And I was like, I have to admit it. I feel guilty. I don't know what I was doing. The sugar, I just was craving it this morning. So should I not feel guilty, Sarah?
2: <laughs> well, this is the perfect way to intro our guest, who is Danny Hamilton, who's going to teach us about blood sugar. So maybe you were just priming yourself for that. Because I'm sure tomorrow morning, after speaking to Danny, you will not be reaching for the big blueberry donut or whatever it was. You no. No.
1: In about 20 minutes, I'm going to crash out from a sugar <laughs> high, and you're going to try to wake me up. That's right. Exactly. Okay. okay. Well, welcome to the show, Danny. Thanks
3: for having me. I'm excited to be here, guys.
2: Yeah, super cool. I mean, it was lovely to meet you, uh, Paleo FX, wasn't it, last yeah. year now? Doesn't seem like that long ago.
3: Oh, no, it was this year. In oh, was uh, it? April.
2: Oh, okay. I'm I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. I was thinking it was my last (laughs) trip in in October, but no, that was the Miami biohacker. So yes, it was fairly recently. That's why it doesn't seem like so long. But anyway, it's lovely to meet you. Of course, you were with the lovely Molly, who was one of our season two guests. And I'm really, really fascinated about the topic because we're talking blood sugar today. You're the blood sugar expert. So I'm interested to know how you got into it and, you know, what was your journey. And I'm also really fascinated about the topic. And it's something that lots of people ask me. Actually, you know, I had a guy message me only today about the continuous monitors. So I'm hoping we're going to get to that a bit later. So please go ahead and kind of tell us your journey.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I didn't know anything about blood sugar. I was like, I don't need to know about blood sugar. I'm not diabetic. So If you're thinking that, you're like, oh God, this topic doesn't concern me, think again. So my story kind of starts back in childhood. I was a sickly kid, had a lot of colds, ear infections, strep throat, a lot of antibiotics. I developed... Allergies and asthma. When I was about eighteen, going to college, then I moved to Miami, where the season for allergies is all year round. I was on so many allergy medications, so many inhalers. I had to get a bunch of allergy shots, like five of them, because I was allergic to so many things, including palm trees. I was like, "This feels oh like goodness. a cruel joke." That's, yeah, that's <laughs> awful. A palm, tree. palm trees. Palm yeah. yeah. trees. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. It was terrible.
1: Stay inside. To stay inside. Don't even. No, you,
3: but like, I was so allergic to, to, to mold. So it was like, I wasn't safe. I needed to be in a bubble at this point. And I was asking all the doctors, why is this happening to me? And of course their response was like, oh, we don't know. It's probably genetics. And I was like, okay. So I just got dealt a bad hand in life. It just didn't feel right. And then at the same time, I was working as a speech pathologist in a nursing home, in a nursing facility, and all of my patients had so many diagnoses, so many medications. And I just kind of had this come to God moment and I was like... This is going to be me. I'm in my early 20s. I'm on five prescriptions and constant sinus infections, constantly being tired. What the heck is happening? I don't know how, but I found the book by Rob Wolf, The Paleo Diet Solution. I changed my diet. I got rid of all processed foods and I started eating real food. And miraculously, all my allergies, asthma, sinus infections, they all went away. I never had to do another allergy shot. I could hug a palm tree. It was great. So I was doing really well eating paleo, but then I had a really stressful year and I started to develop a lot of hormonal symptoms. So I lost my menstrual cycle. I had always struggled with acne, but my acne became not only cyclical, it was just all the time. It was really bad. I started gaining weight and I had no energy. And I was like, okay, I was just eating this diet and it really healed me. And now I'm eating it and it's, something's happening i didn't know what and i figured out that i had polycystic ovarian syndrome which is called pcos and it's just a collection of symptoms a lot of the symptoms i had some women also get they get facial hair and male pattern baldness but luckily i didn't get those symptoms and so I was trying everything to fix my PCOS, and the advice out there at the time was don't eat refined sugar, don't have gluten, don't have dairy. And I was like, check, check, check. I do paleo, I don't have any of these things. And so I just, I was like, you know what, maybe I should just paleo harder. <laughs> and so since nothing changed, nothing changed. And I was listening to a podcast and I, I did a lot of work on my health and by just consuming podcasts like this and reading blogs back then and the early, you know, 2010 decade. And I was listening to a podcast and someone said, PCOS is the diabetes of the ovaries. I was like, "What? What do you you mean, diabetes? It doesn't that have to do with blood sugar? Doesn't that have to do with insulin?" But I didn't know what. All I knew was that my patients who had diabetes, many of them had amputations, and it was something about sugar. That's all I could tell you at that time. And I had done a lot of this research, so I sort of hit the books and I went back to nutritional therapy school. I changed my career, and I was like, "How do I address the blood sugar stuff? Do I even have blood sugar problems?" So I sort of took an inventory of my diet and I said, I thought that paleo was supposed to be like a lower carb diet. So I looked and took this inventory and it was like half a banana blended in my iced coffee with coconut sugar and smoothies, acai bowls, sweet potatoes, plantain chips, kombucha, fruit and nut bars. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess my sweet tooth from childhood just converted itself into, disguised itself by this paleo lens. But I was totally over-consuming carbohydrates for my body. And I think with the addition of the fat in there, because now I embraced fat because of paleo, Having I was just such an energy surplus and it just really set the stage for a lot of disruption. So then I thought, okay, what are symptoms of blood sugar problems? (laughs) Because I don't know. I don't even know what diabetes is like. And that's the very end of the spectrum of blood sugar dysregulation. So what happens when your blood sugar is just a little bit off? And so that was really eye-opening for me. So I was a person who would, and I thought these were, sort of personality traits of mine. So I thought, oh, I just was hungry in the morning. I just needed to eat, but I would wake up shaking. If I would drink coffee, which I would every day, I would just clamor for my coffee and then I would start shaking again. And I thought it was just too much caffeine, but really when I measured my blood sugar, it was a 60, it was very low. And so it was a blood sugar crash. I was one of those people who needed to carry food with me wherever I went. So it used to be a granola bar, then it transferred to be a Lara bar or fruit and nut bar that was paleo friendly, but I always had to have something with me. I was always thinking about food. I could not tolerate being hungry. So I would intuitively just snack and graze all day. So I was kind of medicating myself, keeping my blood sugar up all day. And I would have to eat before I went out to eat. And I used to be like, why do I do this? What is what is it with me? I'm gonna go and get food. Why am I eating? And just the thought of sitting if the food came late, if Friends came late who I was meeting, I would not be able to tolerate that feeling. And so I didn't realize that these were early signs of blood sugar issues and there are quite a few more, but I realized that I had these and that it really was at the root of my PCOS. So needless to say, I dialed some things in, made some changes and all of my symptoms of PCOS went away. I stabilized my blood sugar, lowered my insulin levels and voila, no more PCOS. (laughs) So that's kind of my story.
1: It sounds like we we've talked to a few people. One of Sarah's other friends was diagnosed with breast cancer and went on a very pure keto diet and stays in ketosis. I am also like incredibly sensitive with foods, but I found myself becoming completely food obsessed. And like, how do you avoid being like addicted, like you said, to always watching over what you're eating versus just starting to get a little bit of a pattern and comfortable? I imagine it must be hard, Danny, because I'm the same way. Like I obsess about food constantly and I'm constantly eating terrible for myself, which is great, but it's not great. I mean, because then I feel guilty and I'm punishing myself and, you know, I don't go to the kitchen for two days. I'm kidding. But like, I feel like there's, there's a part of that too, where you've got to get a bit of control over yourself. Right. And, and management.
3: Yeah. And so I used to struggle with binge eating, thinking about food all the time, kind of the same thing, that guilt, shame cycle. And I was a, a closet eater and I could never just eat one of something like once it hit my tongue, you know, the bag was finished kind of a thing. And Same. you know, moderation was Guilty not, yeah, yeah, it was not for me. And it wasn't until I actually balanced my blood sugar levels where there weren't those big highs and lows and that I got into a fat burning state, which is a state of nutritional ketosis where my body was actually able to relearn how to burn fat for fuel because I was stuck sugar burning. We could go into that later. But until I did that and I had to be really strict with myself, so I had to take out any sort of sweet food. So even raspberries, really low carbohydrate. I'd have raspberries and it would wake up my sugar dragon. My sugar dragon would be like, I smell sugar. Let's get some more. Let's get chocolate. And so I had to be really careful and really strict at the beginning. And finally, after about two months, my cravings went away. I stopped thinking about food. It was all of a sudden that mental chatter that was so overwhelming in my life for so long. I just thought that's how my brain was. I thought that's who I was. I thought it was my personality it just quieted. And all of a sudden I could be like, oh, it's okay if I have to work through lunch or it's okay if this is delayed. I used to think that people who would say, oh my God, I think I forgot to eat lunch. I'm like, you're showing off and a liar because I'm like, there's no way I could miss lunch. You know, there was just no way I could miss a meal. And that's blood sugar instability. That is being a sugar burner. If you, our bodies are designed to burn sugar and fat. So we're like a hybrid car, right? And so When we're eating sugar in excess, like everybody in our society, because it's everywhere, it's not our fault. This is what they sell us. You remember the bottom of the food pyramid, 11 servings of grains a day. This is not our fault, right? No blame here. But just eating the foods that are surrounding us, we are spiking our blood sugar constantly. And what that does is it causes insulin, which is a hormone, to... Elevate in the blood. And insulin and blood sugar go hand in hand because insulin's job is to take the sugar out of the blood and put it into the cells of the body to use to make energy. So it puts it in our brain and our livers and our hearts and our muscles. And then if there's excess, it stores it as body fat. But the insulin has a, that very important role of getting the sugar out of the blood where it needs to go so we can make energy. But what happens when we're constantly spiking our blood sugar, we're constantly snacking, grazing a little thing here and there, sip of coffee with sugar in it here, having energy drinks, eating late at night, we are raising our insulin levels, which don't come down as fast as our blood sugar levels. So these insulin levels over time start creeping up, creeping up, creeping up, and we need more insulin to do this same job. And so these insulin levels go up. And what insulin does is it tells the body to store fat. And so it's a storage hormone. So when insulin's in the blood in these high levels, it blocks the body from burning fat. And that's really important, not only for weight loss, it's essential for weight loss, but it's also important because we're supposed to be able to, once we eat a meal, the carbs go up. And we're burning sugar and we're burning the sugar from our meal. And then once they're kind of done, the body's like, oh, I should be able to use some stored sugar from my liver. But insulin, high insulin blocks that. And then it should say, oh, well, she's out of the stored sugar in the liver. Let's just, you know, snack off her tricep over here, like this body fat on her, on her arm here. No big deal. So we should be able to burn fat in between meals to stabilize our energy levels. And so we don't feel hungry. But these high insulin levels are what blocks this and what keeps us having to eat carbohydrates every so often. So that's why we're constantly thinking about food.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Are you, go ahead, Sarah.
2: I was just going to say, it's interesting that you said a lot of, you know, you were on this kind of paleo diet, because I've also seen that too, you know, within the paleo diet, you can have kombucha and you think you're being very, Saintly, or you know there's so many different snack bars, there's all kinds of things you know, even like all of the different drinks you can get paleo treats and paleo treats, others. yeah, the little chocolate tr- I mean, yeah, I love those, so really, but what I'm thinking about is how then did you modify your diet, and what is the difference between, say like eating carbohydrates and fats, because I know that part of the the bulletproof diet is that you drink coffee with butter in it, presumably because you're taking the fat in to kind of have a different effect on that hormonal response. Maybe you can just talk a little bit about that because I know for a lot of people, oh my goodness, you know, I've done the paleo thing. Now that's not even correct.
3: So paleo is a really good template, but it needs to have some boundaries (laughs) and some guidelines on the macronutrients. So I still eat a paleo diet, but what I did to reverse my PCOS was to turn that paleo diet into ketogenic macros. So I started burning fat. So what I did was I took my paleo carbs. So I took my sweet potato off my plate and I added more fats. So it still was a paleo meal, but I was just upping the fats, lowering the carbs, because like I said, the carbs and the fats are a fuel source and you kind of want to lean into one or the other. You don't really want to have too much of either. Some people do great with you know balanced macros, usually men, who are very fit and they can, you know, eat some fat and then eat some carbs and they have this flexibility, they're working out all the time, but that's not the average person and definitely not the average woman who's struggling with hormone stuff. And we're stuck at a desk, we're stressed out, we have, you know, a lot of things and we're not burning off all of that. So, and then those high insulin levels will sort of make everything get stored. I don't know if that kind of
2: answers the question, but that's... Oh, ha- what? What actually did you do? Like, for example, in the morning, how did you change your diet there? I mean, did you start drinking like a lot of buttered coffee and not having breakfast? Or did you try and find some kind of, you know, did you go like the more Atkins way and just eat big steaks for breakfast? How did you manage it?
3: Yeah, so... First of all, I love intermittent fasting and I did a lot of intermittent fasting to reverse my PCOS. I kind of dialed it back once I hit this point where I didn't feel like I needed it anymore. And now I'll I'll dabble with it occasionally because we know that too much of a good thing can start to have negative side effects. But with fasting, it's really beneficial to eat in the morning. It's important to wake up and eat, especially for women, because if we are not eating, we're depending on cortisol and our adrenals to kind of carry us through. That's what I think too. I'm a big fan of breakfast. I'm a big fan of breakfast too. And I think it's important to wake up with an appetite and eat a hearty breakfast and something that you chew. So I did have fatty coffees. I still do have a little bit of fat in my coffee, but like a lot of people who also want to lose weight and you're not going to lose as much weight if you're consuming gobs and gobs of fat. So it can be, you know, a meal replacement, but I never found something like that held me over. I was hungry an hour later if I had a fatty coffee. So I like the idea of having a little bit of fat in your coffee, you know, maybe like one tablespoon of butter blended with some collagen, no big deal, not like five tablespoons, and then have that with a meal that you chew. So I would have eggs in the morning. Then I was sensitive to eggs because I ate them way too much. I would have any dinner meal. I would. All my meals look the same. It could be breakfast, lunch, or dinner. There's a 33% chance it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner. You know, they all look the same. It's some sort of meat, animal protein. It's some sort of vegetable. And I've been sort of playing with those quantities for myself and the different types. I find I do better with less cruciferous vegetables. They caused a lot of bloating. So, and then um, I add healthy fats to that meal. So whether it be a little bit of olive oil, some butter, some avocados, some sort of coconut, something, but I like to get those fattier cuts of meat and it works really great. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's
2: interesting because that's the thing that, you know, trying to work out what to have for something like breakfast. It's interesting that you kind of have a dinner breakfast. I mean, I do like that idea. And then how... Did you actually test your glucose? Because I was smiling through your whole story because that's exactly me. And I still do. I must admit, I'm not on the other side of it. I still do take emergency food. I have a little backpack that I take with me because, as my friends know, I I do get a bit hangry if I don't eat regularly. However, so I started checking my glucose and I have it here. I have like the finger prick. And I did that every day for three weeks. And it, you know, it did get old after a while.
3: What's your fasting glucose, Sarah? I don't know now
2: because it I got to the point where it was so horrible pricking my finger that I've kind of like blocked it out. You know, I was like, oh my God, I'm done with that. Because actually I didn't see the spikes. It's not something that I was able to pick up using that method.
3: Yeah, because you have to test multiple times after a meal. So you have to test once before the meal. So if you have a finger prick glucometer, you have to test right before the meal. And then every... Honestly, I like every 15 to 20 minutes after that meal for the next 2 hours to really capture what a continuous glucose monitor would capture. So, a lot of people will test right before the meal and then they test 2 hours after. You have no idea what went on in those 2 hours and that's what you want to know. So, you want to know was did it spike to 200 or did it spike to, you know, like 12 millimoles? Or did it just have like a little gradual hill? Did it stay flatlined? Like what is happening in between? That's really what we want to know because that's going to determine how we feel. That's going to cause us to either have a lot of symptoms or feel really good and energetic. So Maybe I should just talk quickly about some of those symptoms and then we could go more into testing because I didn't mention all the symptoms. So if someone, the earliest signs of having a blood sugar issue or blood sugar crash or that feeling hangry, that's one of them. So irritability, intense hunger, cravings, a lot of brain symptoms. So you're going to get anxiety, headaches, depression, fatigue, weakness, dizziness, brain fog, Inability to concentrate, shakiness, nausea, heart palpitation. So these are some of the earliest signs that you're not feeling very well and just an energy crash. Like you're like, God, I need to eat something again because I'm I'm just feeling hungry. I'm just tired. I can't think straight. What do you do? Your blood sugar is coming down. And it's almost like the emergency light comes on in the car. Like, oh, you're running out of fuel. So your body's sending you all these signals to go get more fuel. It's telling you, hey, start thinking about food. Think about a muffin. Like go get a mu- you should probably get a muffin and then you're oh. like why am I getting a muffin? My light
1: was yeah, <laughs> yeah my light was really going off this morning. It was, yeah. I, just, I just, and you just woke yeah. him up. Yes, <laughs> I was I had just woken up and I was already crashing. Yes, yeah,
3: yeah, because you fasted all night and so that is telling me that you are not able to efficiently burn fat for fuel and that's why the ketogenic diet isn't the only way to be able to do it, but it really accelerates the process. I don't recommend doing it overnight. And I recommend using all real food, not these keto bars and products, but going back to testing blood sugar. So I like for people to track their fasting glucose in the morning. So you get up and about an hour after you eat, that's when you would take your glucose. That would be sort of similar to if you had to get up and then go to a doctor's office. And then you want to see what sort of range that falls in. So doctors will tell you under 100 is good. So I'm going to do. I have my calculator out to get the millimoles. You just divide these numbers by 18. So Sarah, I know you use millimoles, and Russ, where it sounds like you're from the states, like me, and we use milligrams per deciliter in Canada. They use millimoles everywhere else. You know the US. We like to. Count things in weird units, you know, Fahrenheit. We're going strong with. So anyway,
1: things seem bigger. You yeah, know, Americans it it's like, go, bigger, bigger, go bigger, go home. So. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. like
3: I didn't decide this. Don't don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> so a doctor will tell you under a hundred or under five point five millimoles is fine, you know. And if it creeps up a little over that, they say, let's just watch it.
0: Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky. and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
3: First of all, what kind of medical advice is that? So... If someone paid me, you know, several hundred dollars, thousand dollars to work with me and I told them, let's just watch your blood," Let's just watch it. You'd be like, give me my money back. (laughs) Who the heck are you, right? But these white coats, they could say that because they don't have any drug. They don't have anything. They don't have any tools. They only have pharmaceuticals. And there's no pharmaceuticals you can give someone when they're having these slightly elevated blood sugars. And by the way, I think it is worth talking about that insulin levels can be rising for two decades before you see a rise in glucose. So if you are already seeing elevated glucose levels from the normal range when you're fasting, the insulin has been on the rise for a long, long time. So getting a fasting insulin test is really, really important. But a lot of doctors, you have to ask for that test. It's called fasting insulin a lot of doctors will refuse to test it. They'll be like, you don't need that. It's like, well, maybe about 70% of our the population, at least in the U.S., has insulin resistance. And I have all these weird symptoms. <laughs> like, I think I do need it. They just don't know how to interpret it. They'll tell you anything under 30 is fine. Again, with this fine thing, it's like, it's not fine. Ideally, we want fasting insulin under five. So coming back to the blood sugar, the ideal ranges for me are 70 to 85. So I should have this memorized in millimoles, but I just don't. So 70 to 85 or 3.8 to 4.7 is Kind of tricky numbers for me to memorize, but I'll I'll get it. So that is the normal range that you want your blood sugar to be in. A lot of people, when their blood sugar is in that range, they don't feel well. Especially as it gets a little bit lower, they don't feel well, and that's just another sign that you have these high insulin levels that are blocking the fat burn. So it's it's sort of locking away the energy it's stored, but there's like a a, a, Mm, it's like under lock and key.
2: Yeah, mine is definitely more like five and a half, six from memory as a norm.
3: Yeah, yeah. So that's telling me that these insulin levels are elevated and your body, if you go into those lower levels, you might not feel well because the body's like, oh, we're getting dangerously close. Like I need to send you some signals to get some food. So it's gonna make you not feel well in those levels. And a lot of people will go to their doctor and they'll have a, a blood sugar of 5.5 or 100. And they'll be like, I, I feel terrible at this number. I feel shaky. I feel, and guess what they get? They get anxiety medication. They get gaslighted, but it's really their blood sugar. It's really a problem. So it's really important to test. Oh, here comes Frankie. Um, it's really important to test Cameo your blood sugar.
2: sugar. Cameo cat appearance for those. Cameo cat. The audience. Appearance.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but it's really important to test your blood sugar. And then after those meals, we don't want our blood sugar to go up more than. 30 milligrams per deciliter at a meal, which is, I believe, 1.6 millimoles. So we want to keep it from not rising so high and so fast. So a gradual rise is going to feel better in our bodies than something that spikes straight up and down. With that information, we say, okay, what makes blood sugar spike really high, really quickly? And it's anything refined, any naked carbs, I like to call them. So this would be a carbohydrate by itself. It could be an apple. And then the more refined it is, the more quickly it impacts the blood sugar. So apple is better than apple juice, but an apple by itself still isn't that good. Same thing with rice versus rice cakes. The more you refine it, the more it impacts your blood sugar. So we want to make sure we're not having carbohydrates by themselves. So let's talk about the muffin. The muffin is a naked carb, right? And it's with coffee, which
1: Super yeah yep. the
3: caffeine also spikes <laughs> a lot of people's blood sugar and if there's milk and it's not heavy whipping cream or half and half it's probably going to spike you and if there's sugar in there, even if it's stevia, you know, a lot of those packets also have cane sugar, they have maltodextrin, it's probably going to spike you. So unless it's like a decaf coffee with heavy cream, you're going to get a spike from your coffee and from the muffin. So that is going to be a big spike. You're going to be hungry and having potential symptoms very short after that and how to reverse that. Right yeah, right, right now. It's
1: hitting me right it's hitting now. you yes. right now. It's interesting because I really don't eat much in the morning. I have actually been using a lot of supplements, and uh, Sarah and our guests have got me on yes. many supplements, We're which is great. Sean and Wells I feel article, aren't we still? I'm on Sean Wells, and I started taking some of the energy bits. <laughs> oh, I will be honest; I've been taking really chlorophyll yeah. and the algae, and I it's great. But I definitely, am hearing what you're saying, I'm curious about keto because we asked one of our other guests about this too. Keto seems overwhelming. It seems like a complete, like, empty my refrigerator out, start over again. Oh, my God, how am I going to keep up? I have to cook everything. Is there a simple, easy way to start ketoing and a way to maintain it?
3: Ketosis is not... I just sort of want to put this out there. Ketosis is not like the end goal. I look at keto as a therapeutic protocol for healing. And then you can kind of switch out of that. Now I have carbohydrates sometimes and I sort of cycle in and out of ketosis. I could eat ice cream at night, I'm in ketosis the next morning. So my body likes to burn fat now and it's used to that. So I've been able to develop that metabolic flexibility. So in terms of starting keto, this is what I do in my coaching programs. I don't recommend going from a standard American diet or, you know, eating muffins, like, you know, something like that to eating keto because it's going to be a really rough transition. So I always recommend starting with switching to real food. Because that's difficult for a lot of people and eating a paleo approach. So having some of those paleo carbohydrates, because that could be a lot lower for a lot of people, right? So, um, you know, whereas they're eating pasta and pizza and sandwiches, if you go to a paleo sort of template, maybe you're having eggs and maybe you're having just some meat and sweet potatoes and something with a little bit of like rice, if they're doing rice on paleo. It's maybe less than a standard American diet, but it gets you in the habit of cooking from home, which I use batch cooking, so I'll just cook like single-ingredient stuff. So I'll throw a bunch of chicken thighs in the oven, put on a bunch of sausages, cook a steak, and then be making some asparagus, and then I have some sort of salad. And so I make this all it takes me less than an hour and I just prepped a bunch of stuff. And so I sort of lean into my leftover stash and I just heat everything up. And so what's the fastest food you can think of is leftovers. So that's kind of how I I do it. And I kind of keep that rotating. And then, so I have the real food and then eventually you'll just sort of take out, like instead of prepping a bunch of sweet potatoes, you take those out, do maybe some more vegetables, and then you add fats to that. And so Some people also start with dirty keto, which is not for me because I think avoiding vegetable oils is like the number one thing that we should be doing for blood sugar and insulin because the vegetable oils, which are corn, cottonseed, canola, soybean, sunflower, safflower, rice bran, Grape seed, rapeseed, and peanut oils. Those oils all gunk up the receptors. They inflame the insulin receptors and cause insulin resistance. And they also interfere with your body's ability to burn its own fat. So, those definitely need to come out. That's really important. But, you know, the dirty keto, some keto products to get you started, if that's What's the approach dirty, you want to go. Dirty keto. It's almost a lot of people write, if it fits my macros. So they'll do different keto products, keto treats, pre-made bars, things like that, keto drinks. And this will, it's more like packaged stuff to try to just okay. make sure their processed macros keto. are sort of, I yeah, see. processed keto, basically. Yeah. Processed Yeah. Okay.
2: It's sneaking
1: jelly beans into
3: your pocket. No, it would be keto jelly beans. beans. It would be like, you know,
1: yeah,
3: they would be made with, yeah, they'd be made with like erythritol and stevia or something like that. So you're getting a lot of the sweeteners, but I find for me, the biggest things I wanted to get rid of was my sweet tooth. And I couldn't do that. If I have any sort of sweetener monk fruit, erythritol, my sugar dragon wakes up and is like, Hey, I thought you said we were getting sugar. I tasted it. You know, like you can't, <laughs> you can't escape me. And then it really revs up my appetite. It's,
1: different. it's a different Danny. I bet you, know, but one thing I'm curious about is heart health. And I think after dealing with COVID and how it really just really crushed me and really messed up my heart worse than It already is. I'm curious about heart health and keto. And is it something that you track and check too?
3: Yeah. So one of the worst things for your heart are things like vegetable oils because the polyunsaturated fats, they're oxidized, they're horrible for heart health. The processed foods and processed sugar, for every one molecule of glucose, it requires 56 molecules of magnesium to be processed. And magnesium is a mineral that relaxes muscles. So calcium contracts, magnesium relaxes, so we get a lot of AFib. And then when we eat a higher carbohydrate diet and we have insulin resistance, that is the leading cause of heart disease. It's the leading cause of any sort of high blood pressure. So insulin resistance causes high blood pressure. So does magnesium deficiency. And so by eating a ketogenic diet, and and by the way, the preferred fuel for the heart is saturated fat. They don't tell us this in the mainstream. And so I know so many people who are eating a ketogenic diet and they reverse. They get off their blood pressure medication and everything just looks better to them. Their triglycerides go down, which is really, really important. Their HDL goes up and they have better outcomes overall. So there's a lot of people who do specialize in this, but the worst thing is to have insulin resistance. And so it's like, how do we get off of that? How do we get away from the insulin resistance. So anything that we're doing to improve that is going to improve our heart health. And of course, if we are focusing on a really nutrient-dense whole foods diet, it might include some organs, some things like heart. You can take it as a supplement, but eating a lot of these animal foods is going to be really, really healthy for our bodies because it's easy to assimilate nutrients from these meats and things like that.
2: Before we go, because I know we're running short on time, but I did want to ask you about the continuous glucose monitors, just because it's, it's cool tech. And if you don't measure it, you don't know. And you were just saying, you know, you don't like monk fruit. But I think one of the things it may be cool for people to know what does actually trigger your glucose, because presumably it's not going to be the same for everyone. And it's something that I've thought about getting, but I've only got as far as thinking about it. So I don't know where do you get it from? How much are they? Do you have to get a doctor? Do you need to fit it? Are they any good? Maybe you could just go through that as, as our kind of to sum up and give some. Sure, our top sure. Two. So,
3: Sarah, you have a benefit of being in the UK where they're over the counter. So, in many countries, in Canada and the UK and many other countries, you can get continuous glucose monitors over the counter. The best one is the DEXCOM. It's kind of like the Rolls-Royce or the Tesla of CGMs. And then there's the Freestyle Libre and the Freestyle Libre 2. They have their drawbacks, they're not a hundred percent accurate, but I use the finger prick meter to kind of double check. One of the tips that I say with the freestyle libre is to put it on, leave it on there for 48 hours and don't activate it and let it sort of calibrate a little bit and then activate it after those two days, and it usually ends up being a lot more accurate. So typically you'll see that the meter may trend a little bit high or a little bit low. So it's like, ah, it's kind of like every time I check, it's like 10 points below what it really is. So I'll just kind of take that with a grain of salt. But you get to see the patterns of what's happening. Yeah, exactly.
2: You get to see the peaks. But when you say put it on, yeah, what do you mean? It's like a
3: sensor? So it's like a sticker. Yeah, it's a sensor. You usually put them on the back of your arm. The Dexcom you could put on your stomach. You can put them on some different areas, but you need to look at the sensor. And so you just each one is different, but you have this thing and it just it sticks it on. It looks painful and it's not. I had people, I had someone, she was shaking, she's like, Oh my god, this is gonna hurt so much, it's gonna hurt. Like she was freaking out. And I put it on her, she's like, Oh, it didn't hurt. <laughs> like she it doesn't, it does not hurt. And then it just sticks onto it? your How arm.
0: It?
3: Does it actually, I mean, how does it measure? So it has a little filament that goes into your interstitial fluid. And the interstitial fluid has the same glucose level. It's, I think, about 15 minutes delayed. But it has that same glucose concentration as your blood. So it's not in your bloodstream. It's in the interstitial fluid. It measures that in the U.S. you need the doctor's prescription. But there's many companies that are sort of taking over that need and they are prescribing you the CGM. And it's really, really helpful for knowing your own personal glucose threshold and also to see what other factors are impacting your blood sugar. So for example, if I wake up and have a meal, it might have a certain effect on my blood sugar. If I have that same meal after a really stressful day and I have it at night, it might impact it differently. If I have a really hard workout and then I have that meal, it might have, no spike because at all, because I just sort of depleted all the glycogen, which is stored sugar from my muscles. And then it just all, all that sugar that I ate just refilled it. So it didn't spike the blood sugar. So there's a lot of hacks that you can do to sort of minimize the blood sugar spikes, you know? And so you can use those You know, you can eat the carbs at the end of a meal instead of at the beginning or mixed. You don't have the naked carbs, right? So you pair it with something else. You can have apple cider vinegar before your meal and that lowers the glucose spike as well. You can go for a walk after your meal and that can lower the glucose spike. So there's a lot of things we can do to lower those spikes so we have flatter glucose curves overall i keep doing this kind of making if you're listening on audio making like an equal sign with my hand like we want to keep the blood sugar in this happy range we don't want it to go too high or too low it's like goldilocks it needs to be just yeah, right I like,
2: I like the idea of measuring it and then like hacking what do you think russ would you wear one of those or do you think it would make you a bit more obsessive? Because you've already said that you were.
1: Oh, I would be, I'm already, I got the aura ring and I obsess over my sleep now, which is great. I, I, I know. cool, this is now like you our, know.
2: Yeah, I know, with the gang. Actually, yeah. Now I know. Yeah, actually, yeah. But you
1: know, I will say too, though, like I no longer have to, I look at this and be like, oh, I got a terrible night's sleep. But now I know, like I wake up and I'm like, I got a terrible night's sleep. And I look and it's like I was up five times. And so, I think having it on would really help me, especially if it was an issue, but especially if it was similar to what Danny was saying about feeling like you've got to constantly feed yourself to get yourself back to a a set of normal. If you lower your set of normal. Yeah. I mean, I think over time you start to train your brain to know that you've got a good night's sleep or that, you know, you have great blood sugar levels, but I think it it is worthwhile
2: to know initially. Yeah. You can, yeah, that's a good point, Russ. You can kind of train yourself into what does and doesn't work and what doesn't spike. And one more thing, Danny, that I want to ask you while I've got you here and I can ask you whatever I like. Um, I was listening to a podcast the other day about taking ketones because I'm constantly thinking about how to get a better brain. And, you know, one of the things about ketones is that it's fuel for your brain. And so I was thinking, what about what are the benefits of just taking ketones on their own as a supplement for the brain? And how does that fit in with what you're doing with your blood sugar?
3: So ketones, if you do take them, it can suppress the blood sugar a little bit. It can give you more mental clarity. It can suppress your appetite, but you can also get that from your diet. So I'm in ketosis right now. I haven't eaten since right now. It's almost 1 p.m. for me. And I haven't eaten since 8 a.m. And I'm not even thinking about food. Like I'm not thinking about it. I'm not even hungry. And I'm sharp and clear. And in the conversation, I'm not like where you get like fuzzy eyed, you know? So you can get these benefits from doing the diet itself, but you can also get a little enhancement by taking the supplements. So I wasn't the biggest fan of it because I didn't really see a place for it. But at these conferences, I went to metabolic health summit. I went to paleo effects and I took some exogenous ketones. I was like, wow. So it's kind of like, ketosis, like the best of the best of ketosis, how you really feel it. So I do like it, but also you don't want to be taking ketones and having really high blood sugar. And I think that, talk about hacking your brain, the brain is the first organ to be affected by our blood sugar. So that's where we're going to have that. And, you know, insulin resistance and Alzheimer's is being called type three diabetes, the insulin resistance to the brain. So it's not getting fuel in there. So And then we look at all those neurological disorders that are benefiting from a very high level of ketosis in their diet. So Alzheimer's, epilepsy, yeah, Yeah, Mm -hmm. tons of it. So if you're talking about improving brain health, we just talked about how you can get brain fog and fatigue and difficulty concentrating and anxiety and all those things. If your blood sugar is just going down a little bit and that's in the short term So the blood sugar impacts short-term health. So it affects how we feel at every second of the day, but it also has huge impacts on our long-term health and it affects every cell, organ and process in our body. So it's really something that we want to dial in. And I find that when you pay attention to blood sugar and you optimize your blood sugar, even though you don't necessarily have a problem with it, you're going to function and perform better in every single area of your life. And the continuous glucose monitor, like I wish I had... a company because I love them so much. And I think that they're so valuable, especially for accountability and starting to connect your symptoms with how you feel. So you might be like, oh, I always used to get that like afternoon yawning and a little headache or something. I thought it was from looking at the screens, but it's because my blood sugar is going down. So you might start to connect these symptoms with how you feel. And that is super valuable because you can then modify it and then you don't have those symptoms and then they're not impacting a symptom you have every single day is like a collection for later on having a problem. So if we can get down those little, little issues, we could just perform better all in our overall health.
2: Yeah, of course. That's great. Well, that's kind of, you know, self-responsibility, measuring, making small changes. Yeah, that's super cool. I think I will get one because I've been thinking about it for a while and people have been asking me and like I say I did start with the finger prick test. But I do I do know I do have a blood sugar problem, but I'm not at the stage where I worry too much about it. I just carry extra food with me. But you're right, if it's you know, how much better could you be if you didn't have that problem? So I'm telling you know, if I could get just a tiny weeny bit more brain power, you know, that's of course, that's a huge benefits. And my family will probably be pleased that I'm not quite
3: so hangry. Maybe, maybe. I I might find out that's just my character once I adjust my sugar. I'm glad you brought that up, Sarah, because I know you're laughing about it, but it is not a personality trait. Hangry is not a personality trait. It is absolutely a symptom of blood sugar dysregulation. And I'm like, it's like, who am I when I'm not hangry? Like, I think it would be really cool for you to start experimenting with this and be like, Oh my goodness. It's just, it's so different. It's so liberating. You don't have to carry food with you, but the carrying food with you, the thing about that is that the more you snack, the more it worsens your blood sugar. So what you're doing right now to keep it at bay, it's actually getting worse all the time. So eventually it's going to be like, wow, I I need to eat more often and more often. And the spikes are getting really bad. I'm getting really hangry. So this the symptoms will get will eventually get worse if you don't do something about it. But it's really easy to start tinkering with. And especially we want to do it at an earlier stage as opposed to waiting for a diagnosis because the longer we wait, the harder it is to reverse. But it's possible. It's still possible even with type 2 diabetes, insulin dependent for decades. You know, like Dr. Fung, he's reversing people's type two, getting them off insulin in four weeks. I mean, it's amazing. So this is all very, very possible.
2: Super cool. Yeah. Well, challenge accepted. We used to do a challenge with our guests. We were thinking about bringing it back, but I think I will do this one because it's it's something I've been thinking about. Yeah. And my business coach, actually Barack shout out to Barack was also asking me about it and got me thinking about it again, because it's just better to know. So yeah, that's super cool. I'll be doing it and maybe we'll we'll do another episode where I can report back on that because we've had, you know, it's been really interesting our season three because we've had people with such simple things, you know, someone talking about mold, you know, get something to monitor your air, you know, all of these different things we can do. But this one, I think is probably something that I especially, I resonate with the most. So
1: Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I never did, Danny. I would always be like, I'm just grumpy, right? But it is what goes into my body, and I I really was great at eating prior to COVID. I just I'm just you know when I get a break, I run upstairs and get a glass of water and grab whatever I can grab so I can get back to my next call. Whatever's in front of me. So I've I've not been thinking clearly about what's been going into my body. The podcast has really helped, but this has really been helpful, and and I I really appreciate all the insight. And hopefully, we've saved some brains and we've saved some mornings and some marriages by, you know, Absolutely. not blaming your wife or your spouse or your husband or your partner, but blame the food. That's
2: easy. <laughs> yeah. or do this monitoring and find out that you are just a terrible yeah. person, even with good blood sugar. Good. Yeah,
1: I'm so sorry. It's not the food. It's not the food. It's, it's you. It's funny that you not say that. Nothing.
3: So I have yeah. a client who said, she's like, the best thing about working with you is that, am I allowed to curse on here? Okay. Yes. Okay. she says she's like i'm not an asshole anymore i'm like what are you, what like what are you talking about she's like oh i'm just so much nicer to my whole family and to my kids and to my husband she's like i was such an asshole i'm like whoa, okay, like, but I'm glad it's better. And people will say, you know, people say I've tried every anxiety medication under the sun and I was on lithium. Doctors can help me. So a lot of mood issues really linked to blood sugar too. So irritability that, you know, short tempered, it's just like, you know, my mom used to speak through gritted teeth and be like, Danielle, I get edgy when I'm hungry. I'm like, okay, edgy. Like that's, you know, these can all be, all be fixed (laughs) and so, so yeah, it's pretty cool. that's
1: good news that you can actually remove the assholes from your life as well yeah. without <laughs> going through a bad breakup or a divorce yeah. or anything. It's just like, just eat, just eat better, please. <laughs> just buy some keto, you know, some keto books. We'll send them to your website. Uh, Danny, you want to, should we talk about your website real quick? Sure.
3: Um, my website's Danielle Hamilton health. I mostly hang out on Instagram, Danielle Hamilton health over there. And my podcast is unlock the sugar shackles. And I do have a signature group coaching program called Blood Sugar Mastery, and that is to help people sort of go through everything you talked about. Like, how do I do ketosis? This feels overwhelming. And it is there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to unlearn. And there's a lot of accountability that's needed for a lot of people because it requires a lot of behavioral change. And some people, we don't want to go straight into ketosis. We also like to support their digestion, their ability to break down fats and, and assimilate fats. Even if you don't have a gallbladder, a lot of these people struggle with fat absorption And then there's a lot of things in there. We look at adrenals, we look at sleep, we look at exercise, we look at stress levels. Stress is one of the most underrated factors in our blood sugar. So it affects our blood sugar because when we raise our cortisol from stress, guess what we do? We liberate new glucose into the system and we're sitting at a desk all day, we're sitting in our cars doing, and we're not burning off that glucose. So then we get these elevated glucose levels over time. And yeah, so that's where you can find me <laughs> brilliant well that's super cool and so I'm sure everyone will be looking for that because I'm sure it's
2: something that almost everybody resonates with at some point that they've either you know done a rust and grabbed a, a bun at breakfast or got hangry so thank you so much and it is such a pleasure to have you on it's yeah. so lovely to meet you in Texas too so uh,
3: yes <laughs> it was thank really fun to fun. be here yeah thanks for yeah. having me
1: all right thank Take you care. The Rebel Scientists podcast is a Breaking the Gray production hosted by Sarah Turner and Russ Eisenman. Audio production by Dave Visaya and the podcast engineers. For more information and for our biohacking shopping guide, visit rebelscientists.com. To hear more incredible Breaking the Gray production podcasts, visit breakingthegray.com. That's Gray with an E, breakingthegray.com.
0: okay. <laughs>